Today on Locked on Knicks, was R.J. Barrett underrated in Bill Simmons' trade value rankings? Quentin Grimes shows signs of being a star in the New York Knicks Summer League loss to the Portland Trailblazers, and so much more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Hey, what's up, guys? You are Locked On Knicks, and I wanted to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today. And every day, we are now available on all platforms, and that includes on YouTube. And apparently, a lot of you know that because we have been doing fantastic on YouTube of late. So just wanted to thank everyone who is checking us out there and thank all of you who listen to us in audio form every day. We, 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 we don't discriminate. We'll take all comers, uh, but who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster in the midst of my off season, enjoying uh, a very restful summer uh, and enjoying the summer league New York Knicks, but that is not where I want to start this podcast because Bill Simmons, uh, CEO, podcaster of The Ringer, uh, put out his trade value rankings for the first time in what seems like a decade. Uh, For those of you who are familiar with Bill's work, this is something that he did from, I think, from somewhere like the year 2001 to about 2017, all throughout his time at ESPN, um, where he would rank uh, NBA players based on their trade value. Uh, I was a big fan of the column back in the day. And though Bill, uh, you could argue the quality of his work has fallen off a little bit over the years. But uh, I was certainly intrigued to see it back. And I immediately, while listening to the podcast, scoured the full list for New York Knicks. And uh, including the honorable mentions, uh, which gets you up to around 80 players, You only see one New York Knick on there, and that is, of course, R.J. Barrett, who comes in at number 53. So is that a fair ranking for R.J.? I would say in the aggregate, yeah, it's pretty close to where he should be. Now, are there guys behind him that should be ahead of him and guys ahead of him that should be behind him? I would also agree with that. Uh, Three of the guys uh, ahead of him that jumped out to me right off the bat, or, or, or rather that he is ahead of that jumped out to me right off the bat. Uh, Jared Jackson Jr., Tyrese Maxey, and Tyrese Halliburton. I think there's a case for RJ over all three of those guys. Uh, maybe I'm crazy for the Knicks specifically. I think it's an interesting conversation, right? Halliburton, just dramatically more efficient, a far better passer. Uh, you can argue does not have the upside as a primary of RJ Barrett. And, and when having these conversations, you have to consider the ecosystem in which RJ operates. And I, I would say his is his context is about as difficult as any player in the NBA's. And what I mean by that is uh, the guys around him make his job about as difficult as possible for a player who is not um, a, a self-creating jump shooter yet. Uh, to play with Julius Randle and perhaps the most rim-bound center in the NBA in Mitchell Robinson, and, and for as much as Emmanuel quickly improved throughout last year, um, not having an upper-tier point guard sands his time with Derrick Rose in his second season, where RJ, uh, if you remember, over the second half of that year, hovered around 40% from three. 
his job has been about as hard as possible. So I, I tried to take that into account, but Halliburton um, around the same age has just been a lot more efficient. So I think there's a case there, but Maxi with his speed and shooting combination, I would have him maybe about 20 spots higher than Simmons did. Uh, I just think the guy is a future perennial all-star granted he gets the benefit of playing with Joel Embiid and uh, if you want to use the term benefit over the second half of the year, James Harden. So his job is certainly a lot easier than Barrett's, but I just think he, and, and similar with Halliburton, he gets to his spots, gets to his shots a little bit better than RJ does. And both those guys just have better touch than RJ does. And certainly neither have the upside that RJ does as a two-way wing. And then the the one other guy I, I thought that was behind RJ that has a pretty good case of being ahead of him is Jaron Jackson Jr. Just because he's already one of the single most impactful defensive players in the NBA. We all saw, I think it was game two against the Warriors where he went off and hit like six threes. Um, if, if that shot is consistent in his first couple years in the NBA, he looked like potentially historically great shooter for a four or five. And, and that's, that's tilled off a little bit, but that touch is still there. And I think him at his apex, if he can figure out his off the dribble game, I would argue, and and again, uh, RJ still has a lot of room to grow, but I would argue Jackson's ceiling as a two-way guy is just a little bit higher. Personally, I think I'd rather have him as a piece than RJ Barrett, but uh, it's close. Uh, and then as far, as far as guys who were ahead of RJ that I don't think really belong there, uh, Tyler Hero was the first one. Uh, I think this is the classic case of someone who has far better context than RJ does. And, and if you used RJ the way Hero was used this year on, on a team that's relatively star-studded, uh, playing for arguably the best coach in basketball and, and getting to be the feature guy on second units. I think you would have essentially seen the Barrett that we saw the second half of this year where he averaged somewhere around 26 points per game, but with far more efficiency. I, I, I think RJ getting to go up against second units night in, night out would absolutely be dominant. No one could keep him away from the basket. Um, and Hero is just an awful defender. The guy is food when it comes to postseason play. Uh, and RJ, despite struggling at times this year, I, I think a lot of that had to do with the massive, massive load he had to carry offensively. You give him the, uh, the benefit that hero has of only having to play 27, 28 minutes a game, never having to take the top wing matchup, usually having to take the weakest wing matchup. Uh, I think RJ could be absolutely dominant in that role down the road. Marcus smart, um, all credit to him. The guy transformed his game. And I think in turn, was was certainly one of the keys to the Boston Celtics reaching the NBA Finals this past year. Um, obviously, one of the best defenders in the NBA, one defensive player of the year, uh, very strong shooter, physical, uh, great intangibles guy. He is, I would say, pretty inarguably, um, maybe others would make a case for it, but I, I would say pretty inarguably a better player than R.J. Barrett is today. Uh, despite him being on a favorable contract, I think absolutely insane to say that he has more trade value than RJ. The ceiling for RJ is just in a different stratosphere compared to Smart, and Smart is very, very much who he is. I think even taking a conservative projection for how RJ will improve going forward, I don't see a world where you wouldn't consider him a more valuable piece than Marcus Smart. Uh, other guys ahead of RJ that I took issue with, uh, Andrew Wiggins, um, you could certainly argue that who he was in the NBA Finals is, is maybe the the best case for RJ is, as sort of a, a secondary attacker and an elite defender. And Wiggins is still pretty young. I think he's only about twenty seven, um, if I'm if I'm placing that correctly. Uh, so I, I don't think I don't think it's crazy to have him ahead of RJ, but 
I just think given the the youth disparity, there's, there's still an outcome there where RJ is better. Um, even if Wiggins, I would say, has more talent just because his touch is much better in terms of his mid-range game. And he was at a younger age, I think, and, and maybe I'm off on this, but if I remember correctly, a better player than RJ in that capacity. RJ just has an aggressiveness and, for lack of a better term, uh, that, that dog in him that Wiggins uh, is now finding. But RJ is just so far ahead of the curve in terms of Wiggins as a competitor. And I think, again, you put him in the context of that warrior system that is as easy for a player like Wiggins to play in as any in the NBA once he once he got the nuances down. I think if you, you swapped him in RJ, you would see a far more efficient RJ playing in Golden State and a far less efficient Wiggins uh, playing for the Knicks. So I, I would personally take RJ. Then a couple of rookies in Jaden Ivey and Jabari Smith. And I'll throw Josh Giddy, a second-year guy, in there as well. Um I don't know. I think I would maybe, maybe, maybe lean Ivy over RJ. And there's certainly a case for Jabari just because who he is in the NBA. I just think it's so much clearer than who RJ is going to be. Like like with Smith, you you you've no questions, right? The floor is just so high. It's going to be an elite three-point shooter. He's going to be an elite defender. He's going to be long. I think he's going to develop the ability to attack closeouts and, and finish around the rim. He's a pretty good athlete at six foot ten. And, and RJ, there's just a little bit more ambiguity there. Like he doesn't have quite the same um physical uh talent that smith has despite having more explosiveness uh that's a real toss-up to me ivy i just love ivy so I'm, I'm ultimately okay with ivy being ahead of rj and giddy another one of those guys that i'm i'm totally in love with um and, and it's just a sublime passer but i think maybe because of that archetype and how he's so clearly just already one of the smartest players in the nba um, his jump shot is still going to have to get a lot better. And he, I think he's still, I mean, he had a sick dunk in, in summer league, but I think he's still going to have to get a lot better around the rim. I don't think he'll ever be in the same stratosphere as RJ as a driver. So those two should be very neck and neck for me, but I don't think it's clear cut at all as, as Simmons kind of presented it, that, uh, Giddy should be ahead of RJ. Now, as far as other Knicks who I would like to make the list next year, um, the names that I came up with quickly were OB, IQ, Brunson, Grimes, and a shout out to Julius Randle, who, if this list was made a year ago, probably would have been in the 30s. So I guess there's a world where he bounces back and gets into it. But if Jules gets traded, I would say OB's the most likely guy to be on this list a year from now. Um, IQ, I'm just worried a little bit about the opportunity with Brunson there. Brunson, just because of his contract, I think he would have to make a real leap. Like you look at someone like De'Aaron Fox, who I think reasonably, um, I would probably have him like in the high 50s, but Simmons, I think reasonably left him off the list. That dude averaged like a pretty efficient 28 points per game down the stretch of last year. So it, it would take, and and again, maybe justifiably didn't make it just because of how deep the point guard position is in the modern NBA. Obviously, Fox is making a lot more money than Brunson, but Brunson would have to get up to 24 points per game, pretty good efficiency. And I don't necessarily see that happening for him to justify a spot on this list. Obi, I think just, just with like... Um, I mean, if he could, to some extent, replicate what he did down the stretch of, of last season, you could argue whether that's realistic or not. But I mean, I, I again, I've said it a lot this offseason. I see a guy in Obi Top, and you gave him consistent minutes. He could put up a very efficient 22 points, eight boards, four assists per game. And, and someone like that uh, with decent defense at age 24, 25, uh, maybe, maybe he could crack it a year from now. Quentin Grimes, the final name I'll throw out there, and that will be a nice transition into our conversation on Summer League, I'll, I'll get into Grimes in a second on why he, I think he deserves a spot on this list. But first, I have to tell you all about Built Bar from the people who invented healthy and tasty comes the latest gift to your taste buds. 
You've probably tried the amazing coconut brownie chunk built bar, but guess what? Your friends at Built have given coconut brownie chunk the puff treatment. That's right, the coconut brownie chunk built bar you love, and a deliciously chewy marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate. It's like a fluffy cloud of coconut brownie goodness, but stop drooling and listening. They are good for you. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and all delicious. All built bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. Eat something that tastes good and is good for you. That's the best part about built bar. They taste amazing, but you can enjoy them guilt free because they are actually good for you, an excellent source of protein. So go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order. All you have to do is use promo code LOCKED15. All right, guys, with that, we are back on the Locked On Knicks podcast. The New York Knicks, uh, who had been dominant uh, through two summer league performances, uh, looked that way initially against the Portland Trailblazers, jumping out to, I think it was a 13 to nothing lead. The Blazers didn't score in the first six minutes of this ball game, but the Knicks ultimately uh, fell a little bit cold and lost to a Blazers side that uh, down shade and sharp. Showed some nice resiliency and came back and won this game 88 to 77. But that is not what I want to focus on. I want to focus on another fantastic performance from Quentin Grimes. Had 24 points, four rebounds, and three steals, nine of 17 from the field, three of 10 from distance, three of seven from the foul line. A little bit of an atypical performance from him there at the stripe in terms of his efficiency, but just a monster start to summer league for Grimes. 24 points, four assists, two steals per game through three. And uh, this is why I would make an argument right there with Obi Toppin that he is the New York Knicks most likely to crack that trade value column a year from now and could potentially make a Desmond Bain style leap. And I think is slowly but surely solidifying himself as the guy in the Knicks starting lineup next year at shooting guard because of his newfound, I don't even want to say newfound because he was pretty good at this a year ago, but continued confidence attacking the rim and it reminds me a little bit of Emmanuel quickly last year in summer league where you saw defenders it it almost felt like what the treatment Steph Curry gets in the NBA when defenders literally start getting twitchy even when the guy isn't making a move right and 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 they're they're jumping before even fakes and 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 they're pausing and questioning and saying what am I going to do and and it's it's a little bit of a mental game when you have a guy who has, I'll frame it this way, legitimate four-point range like Grimes does, where he can comfortably shoot from 26, 28, even 30 feet away from the basket. And you see defenders putting themselves in knots, trying to take that into account. And then Grimes, unlike Emmanuel quickly, can really leverage that because similar to quickly is a very nice first step. But unlike quickly, he just has this strength around the rim. We saw that defensively last year, but I think especially in summer league, we're starting to see it offensively now too, where a guy will be paired. Grimes just puts his hip into him and initiates some contact and he's defensively not able to get over that or get around it because Grimes is just that strong. And then he's just gotten so solid around the basket. It's not anything overly fancy, it's just the fact that people are bouncing off of him and he can, he, he just has so many counters off of that too, with his ability to then go behind the back and hit a step back in the mid range game, which we saw from him a couple of times last season. Um, and then the ability to get passes in on the, 
interior and at times he overdoes that a little bit like I, I think Prez pointed this out on Twitter but in the Bulls game he had a wide open layup and he passed it up as he was trying to force the ball to Sims but he throws some really really nifty passes in tight spaces and I think those are the flashes of of the star point guard that he was on the high school level and having Mitchell Robinson having Jericho Sims around the rim that is a real talent and one that I don't think maybe Sands, R.J. Barrett, the Knicks ball handlers have flashed very often over the last couple of years because you have guys, if you can get them a clean catch around the rim in Sims and um, and Mitch, they're pretty much automatic. So that is an extremely valuable skill uh, for Quentin Grimes. Um, the crossover looks really good. I mean, he is dusting guys. We saw it against the Bulls where he got – essentially grabbed from behind, but would have had a wide open dunk if not for it. Um, in transition, he's hunting for and ones. He's he's initiating contact and, and doing a good job of selling it as a defensive foul. Uh, he's hunting threes, which is, is something you, you look for in this setting. Is he knows what kind of shooter he is, and he has that confidence that if I can just get to my spot and I can get it up, there, there's no fear from him. And that was, to me, the greatest strength that he had coming out of college, that he just had the understanding of what kind of shooter he was and how he had to weaponize it. And you see that a lot of times with young shooters where they're a little bit reticent to, to do that. I remember um, there was this quote from Duncan Robinson where he said it got to the point where Eric Spolstra had to, to start essentially punishing him and making him do pushups every time he passed up even a semi-open three. And the Knicks have never had to do that with Grimes because he has that, he has that internal understanding that, oh, I'm – probably one of the 20 to 30 best three-point shooters on planet earth. Anytime I get even a lightly contested look, I'm going to get that shot up. And I think between him and quickly, both those guys just getting shots up has to be the emphasis this season and them not being shy and not being reticent. And for Grimes, it's really not an issue. I am super duper excited to see what he can do next year. I think if Jalen Brunson is going to be your starting point guard, it's a necessity that you, you put Grimes in there and let him cover the best opposing backcourt player and his strength and his physicality and his anticipation defensively, and especially how strong his hands are, all, all uh, lend himself to a guy that can cover up for a lot of Brunson's deficiencies, which, which is mostly just his size on the defensive side of the ball. And honestly, I think it'll be better for Evan Fournier to play in the second unit. Um, as much as Grimes is improving as a secondary creator, Fournier, um, especially if you watch him on the French national team, but even for a lot of his years on Orlando where he was functionally the, the co-number one op option with Nikola Vucevic for long stretches, um, he just has more on-ball reps as a number one guy, um, is better than um, Grimes at uh, little dribble handoff threes and those quick releases and those off-balance trays that you have to hit at a high volume to function as number one guy, even in a second unit, if your game is mostly shooting. And then this was uh, something that um, again, Prez pointed out uh, him, I think it was Prez might've been Benji, uh, but him and Isaiah Hartenstein together uh, running little dribble handoff actions. We saw Fournier work magic with Julius Randall doing that. I think Hartenstein is even probably a better passer than Randall and even a quicker decision maker, those two could could really make some magic. And in turn, I'd like to see Grimes get involved in some of those actions and replace Fournier in some of those actions in the starting lineup because he's also a really slick passer and a fundamentally sound one who's just very good at making those, not necessarily a hard read, but a pass some NBA players struggle with, those those rapid fire, um, like little slip passes off a quick roll. So I'm, I'm super duper high on Quentin Grimes, if you couldn't tell. 
Uh, other thoughts coming out of this one. Um, I'll just say quickly on Deuce McBride. Uh, you want to see him continue to improve getting to the basket. Uh, this has been a theme for him in summer league where he, uh, similar to what we saw from him in the G League, has flashed elite defense, uh, some elite passing ability. Uh, I would say arguably an elite pull-up shooter. Like one of the, I think, could walk into the next starting lineup and be one of the better point guards in the NBA in that capacity. And that's that's half the battle in modern basketball. Like if you want a point guard to have one skill, um, outside of I, I, maybe including like overall organization ability, I think elite pull-up shooting is just about number one. But he's so reticent to go all the way to the rim. And you saw that a lot in the first half of this game where he settled for these really tough mid-range shots. And he it, it's almost a gift and a curse that he's such a talented shooter because he places a little bit too much faith in it and settles for these really difficult attempts. And, and to me, he's, he's a clear-cut long-term NBA starter if he becomes really good at getting all the way to the rim. I think he's already an, an NBA player because of how good that shot is and how good his defense is against opposing point guards. But if he adds that ability to get confidently to the basket, um, it puts him in a different stratosphere. And we saw that a bit in the second half of this game where he wasn't settling. And it wasn't – what I liked about it is, like, it wasn't anything exceptionally fancy, right? It wasn't him stringing together, most, like, leaving a guy in the dust. It was him being decisive off a screen and putting his head down and getting to the rim. And the thing is, with how good his shot is, guys are going to come out after him. They're going to have to go over screens – and that should give him the leverage. That should give him the ability to get all the way to the basket. He just has to make the decision over and over and over again that that is what he's going to do. And he is athletic, and he doesn't have a bad handle. So there's no reason why he can't do that. It, it's just a mentality. And to me, the biggest thing with young guys in this league, it's just a comfort thing, right? You, you do something at the high school level, you kind of have to rediscover how to do it at the college level. You do something well at the college level, you have to rediscover how to do it at the NBA level because it's, it's greater length, it's greater athleticism, it's better guys around you who command the ball, you're lower in the pecking order. It's just, it's just rediscovering that confidence and saying, hey, I can do this, I can hit these shots, I, I'm good enough that I'm not going to get pulled if I miss one or two. And, and the thing that concerns you about how he's played is Summer League is where that, that leash is completely off, right? Summer League is where you're allowed to experiment. Deuce McBride, when he's playing for the New York Knicks, he's not the star. He's not the guy who gets to miss five shots in a row and keeps shooting. In Summer League, he is that dude. So what you need to see from him over these last couple of games is someone who again and again and again is willing to make that decision to attack the basket. Even if it goes poorly, this is the place to experiment. Speaking of which, Jericho Sims has done a whole lot of that in Summer League. But we're going to step aside one final time and then we'll talk to you about it because I am super excited about what Sims is flashing. All right, guys, we are back on Locked on Knicks and I want to get into Jericho Sims, who had a relatively quiet game, 29 minutes, only took six shots, three for six from the field, uh, 0 for three from the foul line, did have 11 rebounds, did have four assists, did have three blocks. Um, but I'm just, this is what I was just talking about with Deuce McBride, right? Summer League is the place to, to screw around and find out, to test the limits of your game. And we're seeing that with Jericho Sims. I saw a lot of people on Twitter highlighting, coming off of that Bulls game, his ability to grab and go, right? And, and, and this is something he even did in the G League occasion, where he'd get a rebound and he'd take it off the court, uh, take it up the court, excuse me. And then in this game, we saw him attacking closeouts a little bit, which was really exciting. I mean, I mean man, he had one where he double dribbled, but just... 
the ambition on this was exciting. Got the ball at the three-point line, uh, put a little between-the-legs crossover on former uh, NCAA Wooden Award winner Luca Garza, got to the rim, dunked it, ended up double dribbling. But man, just the ambition was exciting because we always have talked about that with Mitchell Robinson. Man, oh man, you would love to see him do that a little bit more. Once a year, once a year, right? Twice a year, maybe. We'll get those flashes from Mitch where he takes a dribble, gets all the room, and you're like, dude, this guy is a sick athlete at 7'1 or 7'2. How thrilling would it be if he could do this just a couple times a game? Everything you could say about Mitch. You can say about Jericho Sims as well. One of the best athletes at the center position on the planet. One of the most athletic seven-footers on the planet. But unlike Mitch, it seems like he actually has the coordination and maybe the confidence to try this stuff in games. And the good news with Jericho is he doesn't necessarily have to get to the Rimbies. Again, unlike Mitch, he has a little bit of a post game, right? He can put a little half spin and a jump hook on you. He even tried a little turnaround jumper in this game. And it was something um, Fred Katz of The Athletic put this out on Twitter. Tom Thibodeau talks about this a lot in regards to Jericho Sims. He is constantly trying stuff that you don't necessarily see in games and working on rounding out his game. Because unlike Mitchell Robinson, I, I hate to keep taking digs at Mitch, but Jericho has some natural touch. He's good around the basket. He's intuitive around the basket when he's not just dunking the ball, unlike Mitchell Robinson. And I think that could pay dividends if he continues to work on his handle and can handle around the perimeter. Because if the future of this Knicks team, and granted, look, they just re-signed Mitchell Robinson for four years, $60 million. So Mitchell Robinson is clearly a big component of this team. But if Mitch is traded down the road, or if Mitch's injury issues continue, or if Jericho just surpasses him and on an extraordinarily reasonable three-year, $6 million deal with a whole lot of incentives in it that make that deal even more team-friendly, if Sims is your center of the future and he's going to be playing with Obi Toppin, you need him to have some perimeter ability because you want Obi to be the guy who can roll to the rim a little bit. And for Sims, that doesn't necessarily mean shooting threes, right? Because that is a, a long way off and something that if I had to bet, I'd say ultimately will probably not be a thing for him. Maybe late career, he develops it. But even if he doesn't, if he can just work like little dribble handoff actions with Obi and you have two bigs that are that skilled and can both handle the basketball and, and can both make passes off the short roll, Obi's already very good at that. Stims is clearly trying to work on it and occasionally flashes some really good passing ability. On the very opening play of this game, he had a great kick out to uh, Ferran Hunt where he, he caught it on the roll, was immediately doubled and just threw it out. It might have been a pre-assigned read, but if it wasn't, man, oh man, it was just fantastic vision from Jericho Sims, if he can develop that kind of skill set, you're looking at someone who can be an absolute game changer for the New York Knicks and unlock parts of Obi Toppin's game and make life far easier on guys like Jalen Brunson, Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes, and RJ Barrett down the road. But I say all that to say I love the ambition from Sims. There's still plenty of work to be done. And he's look, he's going to be buried a little bit to start this season, right? Hartenstein is going to play ahead of him. Mitchell Robinson is obviously going to play ahead of him. But given Mitch's injury issues, Jericho is going to get his chances. And man, I'm, I'm ecstatic about what I'm seeing from him. I, I think right he's right there with Grimes, the guy who's impressed me most for the summer Knicks. I want to quickly shout out for Ron Hunt, too. Um, I, was, I was out of town all weekend, so I didn't get to talk a lot about his first two games, but He's really impressed me. The dude is super long, uh, just a clearly a fantastic athlete, um, but is more than that, right? Because sometimes for the for like the fifteenth man the roster, which you you see a lot, um, is is someone who is just super duper athletic, and then there isn't a lot else there. 
but he has some real skill and and just like he's he's very very instinctive um he had seven steals in that bulls game it was the second most in the history of summer league behind donovan mitchell um he, he was just very confident in transition um has has really good patience in transition and a lot of times especially in a setting like summer league where you see guys just desperately trying to prove themselves and um playing a little bit sped up especially when they're not used to having the on-ball volume that they're getting in summer league because they didn't necessarily get in college and, and they certainly haven't gotten in the nba yet he's just patient he doesn't force the issue but he is decisive and he is aggressive and he clearly has faith that Hey, if I'm at the rim at the same time as you, I am going to rise up. I'm going to wait. I'm going to outlast you in the air and I'm going to find a way to finish. And then he, he missed one pass where, where Grimes was wide open, cutting to the basket, but showed really nice patience when he was doubled, getting rid of the ball, didn't panic at all. I mean, I just like him as a guy with good size, clearly a pretty decent looking jump shot. And he just strikes me as if not like an on ball genius, like, and someone like Emmanuel quickly could be turning into for a wing, a very solid decision maker. If he has to play minutes for the Knicks next year, color me intrigued. Um, he, he is obviously far, far down the depth chart, but if someone like Cam Reddish gets traded and then you have some injuries in front of him, maybe someone who could play a little bit. I, I think he could be an intriguing piece down the road for the New York Knicks. Uh, but yeah, we are going to have a lot more from NBA summer league, potentially a couple of guests checking in. Uh, who are in Vegas. Uh, Alex and I will be reuniting to do some episodes together as the week goes on. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, once again, guys, just just big shout out. Um, I think we might have mentioned it on an earlier pod, but June was quite literally our best month ever. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I so, so, so appreciate all of you who tune in every day. It means the world. And uh, yeah, we're going to have uh, more great content to justify you guys investing your time in us. But until then, be good. We'll talk to you soon on Locked on Knicks.